Well, I want to welcome I want to welcome everybody here to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, thanks so much for coming on out. If I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, uh, my name is John, lead pastor around here. I uh, want to wish all the dads in the room happy Father's Day. Uh, this is actually my very first Father's Day. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Worked hard at it. Um, <clears throat> So this week I saw this thing on Father's Day, very interesting statistic, I was unaware of this. Sort of the number one uh, most popular holiday is Christmas. That's not a shocker. Number two, Mother's Day, right? So it's like Jesus and then your mom, and then Father's Day came in at number 20. <laughs> I can't even think of 18 other, ho- I mean, it's like Halloween was six. So it's like monsters and then your dad, Arbor Day, <laughs> Arbor Day was 13. But anyway, it's fine, we're not bitter or anything. <laughs> it's fine. See, we can, you know, bump that up. Those, you know, those are rookie numbers. We'll get that up next year. Anyway, so we are continuing this series that we are calling Questioning Jesus. And what we've been doing all month long is talking about how Jesus, one of his favorite methods of teaching was, in fact, to ask questions. He loved parables, but he actually really loved to ask questions. I showed a statistic in week one that we learned that he actually asked 307 questions. Um, He was asked 183 questions, and he answered fewer than 10. Some theologians argue that he actually only really answered three questions, which is wild. I saw this, and I was like, all right, this is pretty incredible stuff. Because, you know, we here at this church believe that Jesus was God, and because he was God and is God, he obviously has all the answers. And yet, Based on this breakdown, clearly Jesus seems to believe that we all can learn more from his questions than we can from his answers. And so all month long, we've been taking a look at these questions, trying to find out what he asked, why he asked it, and and probably most importantly, what can we learn about ourselves through these questions? Well, today we're going to look at a great little story, very short story actually. But Jesus is going to be asking a question that I think every single one of us at some point in our lives, and most likely multiple points in our lives, will have to wrestle with. And the question he's going to ask is, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Today, I want to talk to the people in the room who really feel like they need a touch from God. Okay? you got a problem. All right? There's a challenge in your life. There's a concern in your life. And you have been praying and you've been believing and, and hoping that God will give you a miracle. And if you are that person who, who really needs God to move in your life, my prayer all week is that this story will speak to your heart. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, before we kind of get into the story, let me give you the context for what Jesus was doing leading up to this story. Because this was a, the Jesus was on like a healing marathon that day. Early in the morning, he had healed a lame man, so a man who was paralyzed. He healed him. He was able to walk. He then was walking, and uh, a family grabbed him and said, hey, our daughter has died. Can you come and, and heal her? Which is such an interesting question. And so he goes to walk over to the dead girl's house. In the process, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, I don't know where she's bleeding from, she's bleeding for 12 years, says that if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I will be healed. Sure enough, she touches it. Jesus famously says, I feel healing power leaving my body. She was healed. Then he finally gets to the dead girl's house, brings her back to life. Great story. And then our story 
picks up. It says this, as Jesus went on from there, meaning the dead girl's house who was now alive, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. Let's pause here because there's actually a lot that we can uh, cover in this small little section. First, notice how it said the two blind men were calling out. Now, when we read this in English, we kind of think it's sort of like, yo, Jesus, right? Over here, hey, you know, just like, hey, Jesus, whoa, whoa. Um, but in the original Greek, this word calling out is this word kratzo, which means to cry out with an animalistic cry. The book of Revelations also uses this term kratzo to describe the screams of a woman in labor. So these men are crying out passionately. It is guttural. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. But look at how they address Jesus. They actually call him the son of David. What's that about? This is actually amazing. This is the very first time in all of scripture that Jesus is referred to as the son of David. Now for us, we don't, it's like, all right, you know, just another strange title for Jesus. He calls himself the good shepherd. He calls himself the gate. You know, we've heard it say Emmanuel. Lord, so, so, all right, son of David, thought his dad was Joseph, but fine, whatever. This is hugely important. To call someone the son of David was to recognize them as a Messiah. This was a specific title. These men knew what they were doing when they were using this title. These men had gotten wind that Jesus had healed a lame man, that he had brought a dead girl back to life, and so they were convinced that he was the Messiah, the son of David, as the Old Testament refers to the coming Messiah as. Now, here's where this really gets interesting. 700 years earlier, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah was describing what the Messiah would do when he finally got here on earth. Take a look at what Isaiah says. And when he comes, the Messiah, he will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf, the lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Well, these guys know. Jesus has already healed a lame man who is now leaping like a deer, and so they knew Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who can open the eyes of the blind. And so they cried out, have mercy on us, son of David. In other words, even though we can't see, even though we're blind, we can see Jesus for who he is. We know that he is the Messiah. Have mercy on us, son of David. Verse 28, when Jesus had gone indoors. Wait. So these men are screaming at the top of their lungs. Kratzo, you know the words now. They are screaming at the top of their lungs. Have mercy, have mercy, son of David, have mercy. And yet we see no indication of, at all that Jesus even replies. He just keeps right on walking and he goes indoors. Okay? So, the blind man came to him. Th these guys are now following Jesus, and they straight up just walk into somebody else's house. And, and it's here where Jesus asks the question of the day. He asks them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Now, here's what I love about this question. Not once have these men stated or asked to be healed of their blindness. All they have done is to cry out, have mercy, have mercy. And Jesus knew exactly what they needed. Has there ever been a time in your life, and maybe it's right now, 
Were you at a need that was so deep? Where you needed God to work so badly in your life that, that all you could do was, was cry out, God have mercy. You, just, you, couldn't even, you didn't even know how to phrase the request, God have mercy, please. God heard your cries. He knows exactly what you needed. And I think he'd ask every single one of us the exact question he asked these two blind men. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we believe. We believe you are the Messiah. We believe you are the son of David. We believe you have the power. Then, it says, Jesus touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Notice they weren't healed according to their income. They weren't healed according to their social status. They weren't healed according to you know, whether they had made it to church on, on you know, the, the prior weekend. They were healed according to their faith. And, and for me, at least, it is very encouraging to know that God responds to faith. Scripture tells us that it is, that it is impossible to please God without faith. God loves our faith. Scripture says that if we have faith, we can actually move the heart of God. But there is a flip side to this. See, in, in some church circles, and I've seen this, and maybe you have too, they can actually be cruel about this teaching. And they'll say things like, well, the reason God didn't heal you is because you have a lack of faith. Ever heard this one? Yeah, that feels real nice. Talk about kicking a person when they're down. Now, here's the strange part, and I was thinking about this. When God does something in your life, he should get the credit, right? Yes. But when God doesn't do something, we often get the blame. You didn't pray right. You didn't have enough faith. You, you, didn't, you didn't pray with the right sign-off. You said amen. You should have said amen, okay? That's not a thing, but I, that's a story for a different day. Anyway, so... While it is true, yes, that God does honor our faith, it is also true that many of us, and maybe you're one of them, are living under this false sense of guilt, believing that we did something wrong. So the big question is, what kind of faith does God honor? What kind of faith honors God? I mean, Scripture is clear over and over and over. Faith moves the heart of God. And so what I want to do today with our remaining time is I want to take a look at this story, and I want to show you three types of faith, just three types of faith, that God honors, and that I think also honors God. And my hope is, in the process, your own faith uh, will be built up. So, the first type of faith that I want to look at is faith that believes when it doesn't see. Okay? Faith that believes even when it doesn't see. The author of Hebrews tells us this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. Faith is having confidence that what we hope for will actually, literally happen. That's faith. This is precisely what we see happening in, in today's story. Let me show you. It says, now when Jesus had gone indoors, the blind men who could not physically see came to him. And he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this. And long before these men saw the results of what Jesus would do, they said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Now, I'd ask you the same question. 
take whatever challenge you are facing in your life. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's an addiction issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a spiritual issue. Do you believe? Do you believe that God is able to hear your prayer and answer on your behalf? Now, if you've been a Christian for quite some time, and I know many of you have, you, you're, you're tempted to sort of give the churching answer. Of, oh, yeah, I believe. Right? Praise God. Hallelujah. Right? Because you've been trained to say that. But far too often, our actions and our words indicate that mm, we actually don't believe. See, our actions and our words betray us. They, they show the truth of what's really going on in our heart. Because we'll say things like, you know, all we can do now is pray. Uh-huh. Talked about this. And God hears that, and he's like, oh, well, now you're really in trouble. <laughs> I mean, if you're down to me, Gosh, that's bad. You've tried everything else, and now it's just me? Good luck with that. <laughs> but this is, this is what we say. All we can do now is pray. Huh? That's it. Well, Anyway, ask yourself. In the last week, let's call it seven days since last Sunday, right? What have you been praying about faithfully every day? What is that thing in your life that you've been praying about faithfully every single day? Let's be honest. Some of you, not much. See, what you pray about, I believe, reflects what you believe about God. And if you don't pray much, and you might have excuses as to why you don't pray, but if you don't pray much, I would argue, it shows that you don't believe that God is really active. You don't don't really believe that God is involved in your life. Maybe you don't believe that God can. But if you are someone who is praying for something really big, praying for something really bold, you're putting it out there, that indicates that you believe in a big and powerful God. I'd go out on a limb. I'd say that the size of your prayers reveal the strength of your faith. If all we're doing is asking God to bless our food, and we should, but I mean, if if that's the extent of it, if, if all we're doing is asking God to bless our food, what does that say about our faith? Now, I don't know your story. I don't know what you're going through. And maybe nobody knows what you're going through. But do you believe that God can heal a marriage that has gone bad? Do you believe that God can help conquer an addiction that has plagued you for years and others may have given up on you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has the power to break the bonds of anxiety in your life or depression in your life? Do you believe that the name of Jesus is bigger than the name of cancer? Do you believe that all things are possible with God? Because a faith that honors God and a faith that God honors is a faith that believes even when it does not see immediately. Second kind of faith I think God honors and honors God is a faith that persists when nothing changes. Think about this. These these men are, they're they're crying out, son of David, son of David, have mercy on us, please, son of David. What does Jesus do? Nothing. He keeps walking. He goes right inside. What do they do? They follow him. You can almost hear the conversation, like, well, we're going to follow him, right? He's either going to heal us or they're going to kick us out, but we're not going away. We're going after him. We know who he is. I love what Paul says about prayer. He says, be persistent in prayer. And keep alert as you pray, giving thanks to God. As I was thinking about this week, I was thinking about Downtown Harbor Church, and we are now kind of getting into our seventh year 
And over the course of those seven years, there have been years or seasons where certain truths, if you will, kept presenting themselves, just kind of, ma- kind of making their way into our messaging. And in year one, I can't tell you, I, I, I can, literally couldn't even count the number of times where we landed on this idea of loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor, love your, so much so, one of our members, and they're still here, good friend of ours, they go, hey, listen, love you guys, you know, but uh, enough with the love your neighbor stuff, okay, can we go a little deeper than just love your neighbor, and I was like, honestly, based on what I'm seeing out there in the world, I'm not sure we've mastered the basics of loving our neighbor to warrant going deeper, but I say this, because in this last year, really in the last six months, this idea of persistence, this idea of persistence is, 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 has just keep coming to the forefront over and over and over again. Persistence in our faith, persistence in our prayer life. It just keeps making its way into our messages. This is now, I think, the third or fourth sermon that I have given where this concept has made its way to the forefront. And that's not due to me. I think that just happened for some reason. So I don't know who needs to hear this. And maybe I'm just preaching to myself because, quite frankly, this whole series, I have been preaching to myself. But whoever you are, we need to pray and not give up because maybe it is about your marriage. Maybe it is about your children, your finances, or your health. And we may not be actively seeing God move in our lives. It may seem like he has walked past us, that he has gone inside, but we have to pray and we have to pray and we have to pray, Lord, hear me. Lord, hear me. You have the power. I believe you can do this. Jesus tells a parable called the parable of the persistent widow. I don't have time to get into this whole story. Uh, And to be honest with you, it is a wild parable. Um, It's a little off-putting. But Matthew kind of says, One day, Jesus told his disciples a story, the parable, to show that they should always pray and never give up. Okay, so this is what we need right now, right? Persistence in prayer. So Jesus goes on to tell this story. He goes, all right, so there was this unrighteous judge. He didn't care about God, and he didn't care about people. And then there was this widow who needed him to rule in her favor, but he kept ignoring her. So she would knock on her door, hey, judge. Hey, judge, I know you're in there. Hey, judge, I need your help. Hey, judge, hey, judge, hey, judge. Finally, it says, the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. (laughs) Jesus is telling this story, by the way. Because she was so annoying, he gave her exactly what she had asked for, to which we want to be like, "Uh, is this supposed to make me feel good, Jesus? It's kind of a strange story. What's going on here? Number one, this was humorous. This is hyperbole. Jesus, this, like they would have been cracking up at this story. The other thing is, Jesus is using a Jewish method of teaching, uh, comparing that which is lesser to that which is greater. And so he wraps up the story by saying, if an unrighteous judge, that which is lesser, if an unrighteous judge is moved by the, someone's persistence, how much more would your loving heavenly father respond to the faithful persistent prayers of his children. God honors a faith that doesn't give up even when nothing changes. Lastly, I believe the kind of faith that that really moves the heart of God is a faith that is personal. 
These two blind men, they clearly had a, a theological understanding of who the Messiah was. They knew the scriptures. They knew what Isaiah said. They knew what to look for. They'd indicated faith in Jesus by calling him the son of David. They showed persistence by following him right into the house. And so with all that in mind, it does make you wonder why Jesus would ask them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? I mean, clearly they do, right? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? I think the answer is in this last question, in this last word. I think the emphasis is here. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? You see, Jesus wasn't asking if they believed if he had the power to work in other people's lives. They did, right? He wasn't asking if they believed in the theory of the Messiah. They did. He was asking them whether they believed he had the power to do this now for them. And the truth is, many of us, and I've been there myself, we believe that Jesus has the power to work in others' lives, but we're doubtful he'll work in our own. And our prayer life and our sort of inner monologue looks something like, you know, yeah, I believe that you are able, Jesus. I believe that. And, I, I, and yeah, I've, I've seen you transform situations. And I, I, be, I believe in your power, and I know nothing is impossible, but I'm just, I'm just not sure I believe you will for me. And I'm just going to let you know, as long as you live there, you're never really living a life of faith. You have beliefs but you haven't taken the next step of, of turning them into faith, you, to get out of the boat, so to speak, and to walk on water. And in those moments when you find yourself doubting God's goodness in your life, whether he can or he will do these things for you, you have a decision to make. You got to make a choice. And you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You have to make a decision to say, I believe you can for me. I believe you can for me, because that's faith. When Jesus asked those men, do you believe I am able? They answered, yes, Lord, we do. This is the kind of faith God is looking for. And Jesus said, because of your faith, it will happen. I think ultimately the challenge for all of us is to ask, do, do I believe Jesus is able to do this for me? Whatever this is. Do I trust Jesus for my salvation? Do I trust Jesus for my healing? Do I trust Jesus for my forgiveness? Do I trust him to hear my prayer and work in my situation? Because it is one thing to believe in theory. It is another thing to place our lives into his hands and say, I believe. And this is precisely the kind of faith that God honors. Let's wrap up this story. I want to show you one more thing. It says, <clears throat> then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Now watch this. Jesus warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. This is a great example of a piece of scripture that was given for a specific time that's no longer applicable to us. So why would Jesus want to keep this a secret? That's a little strange, isn't it? This is actually not the first time 
he's done this or he's given warnings about this. Effectively, what he's doing here is he's trying to control the message. As you read the Gospels, it is clear that Jesus had a plan to reveal that he was, in fact, the Messiah, but it was on God's timing. His ultimate goal was to deal with the sin problem, and to do that, he knew he had to make it to that cross and come out of that tomb. And the problem Jesus ran into over and over and over again is that people wanted what he could give them, food, healing, miracles, and he could tell that they wanted to make him king, an actual earthly king. That's a problem. Well-intentioned, that's a problem. And so when he would do these types of messianic healings, right, that were sort of red flags, that this was the guy that Isaiah was talking about, he kept it under wraps until it was the right time. But now, today, cat's out of the bag. Jesus made it to that cross. Jesus got out of that tomb. And we now, as his followers, have been given a brand new command. Tell everyone about Jesus. Don't stop. If he is working in your life, tell others. If he has answered prayers in your life, tell others. This week I was writing this. Literally, I was writing this. I got a text message from one of our members, a woman named Wendy Mascola. Some of you might know her. And she told me, and I quote, I want to tell others about how God healed me of cancer twice. She said, I want to get out there in the community. I want to go to other churches. I want to go around the area. And I want to tell people about the power of God and what he did in my life. And I heard this and I'm thinking to myself, okay, how do we accommodate this? How do we do this? How do I, I mean, we don't have time on a Sunday to really bring her up and do this. And I thought, you know what I can do, Wendy? I can give God the glory on your behalf. And I can tell this church, and I can tell the people at home, and anybody listening to this in the upcoming week about how you were first diagnosed with breast cancer in 2012. And it was scary. And healing from that was a struggle. And then you were diagnosed again in July of 2021. But today, because of the mercy and the goodness of our God, she had what doctors would call a complete response to chemo. No evidence of disease. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Wendy answered yes. Yeah. And she is alive today and here today to praise the name of Jesus, the son of David. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen. We just want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So I have a reminder for you, and then I have a challenge. First, the reminder. It is true that our faith plays a crucial component in God's activity in our life. There is no doubt about that. But here's what we always must remember and what we can never forget. Our faith is not in our faith. Our, our faith is not in us. Our faith is not in our works. And our faith is not even in our desired outcome. Our faith is in the faithfulness of God. A God whose ways are higher than our ways, 
whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, a God who is good through and through, who is all-powerful, ever-present, and all-knowing. Our faith is in that God, and he is able. Now, the second practical. I don't know who this is for, but you do. I would challenge you to put your faith into action. Those blind men could have stayed on the side of that road, but they didn't. They cried out to Jesus. They chased after Jesus. They ran right into that building. They believed that he could heal them, and they went after him with that request. So here's my challenge to you. If you are someone here today who is dealing with something, and you need a touch from God, I'm not going to ask you to stand. We're not that kind of church. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But here's what I would challenge you to do. Let us pray for you. After this service, outside of the blue tables, you will find someone from our team. I will be there. Adam will be there. Um, One of our other teammates will be there. And Wendy will be there to pray with you. As an act of faith, would you take action? Would you go to that person? Would you invite someone else into your situation to call on God to move on your behalf? I'm not saying our prayers are any more powerful than yours. They're not. But this is an opportunity for you, like those blind men, to get off the side of the road and chase after Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a difficult subject because so many of us are going through some really hard times and we have been praying and we have been believing, but God, sometimes we don't see any movement. Lord, we know that Daniel in the Old Testament had cried out to you for 85 years and had not seen any movement. And then one day, Lord, your angel showed up and said, God heard your request the first time. And so, Lord, we know that behind the scenes you are moving even though we don't see that movement. My prayer today, Lord, is that we would see that movement. Lord, that you would touch us and move in our lives. And you would heal us. Because you are able. You are able. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, the Son of God.